Hello and welcome to Open All Ours, the QPR podcast. I am David Fraser. There are four of us here. There's soon to be a fifth one. The fifth one is definitely the most interesting one. We'll come on to that in a minute. Um, joining us, he's currently showing a mute sign, but I'm about to introduce him. So I will feel whilst he takes it off, is Paul Finney. Paul, hello. Well, as we tried new things this week, I thought I'd try and mute myself and see if you'd bother. And I'm fine, thank you. Hello. We are trying new things, not that this matters to anyone, but to mitigate against some people maybe not getting the cues to finish their answers and really not mentioning any names. We're using the chat function amongst us. So if you hear tap, 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 that is us saying, hurry up with the answer. Right. Also, Flo Lloyd-Hughes is here. Hello, Flo. Hello. I'm, I'm surprised it took Finney that long to finally use the mute function but it's fine it took only what nearly a year of doing these remotely but we got there in the end we got there in the end we got there we got there uh, and also i think this is so hi Flo. hi paul i think this is your first podcast do tell me if it isn't um josh josh banks is here good evening if i had been on before I clearly wasn't that memorable um but don't, don't worry you got it right first time david uh, i don't do all of them i'm not an ever-present like Paul Finney is. I'm not. But you'd the, listen. You'd listen to them when you're not. When I'm you, not you the Mark Schwarzer of the podcasts <laughs> like Paul Finney is. He's like, hasn't he got? David James has the most ridiculous amount. Of to be honest, it's, it's it's purely because I haven't actually got a life. I'm not going to lie, and this is a highlight of my week. It's that bad. It's it's it's, it's funny because it's true. Okay, um, right. Before we get, oh, the fifth person who I said, the fifth person who's coming on in, I think, four minutes is QPR's ex-midfielder, fan favourite, been on the podcast once or twice before, but not for ages and ages, is Martin Rowlands. He's coming on. He's going to have a chat with us. And as these things go these days, um, we can't like, because we don't bother with too much editing, we can't really control sort of when they come into the Zoom room or not. We could have a waiting room, but we're not that clever. So he will just appear and he will then start talking probably in about five minutes time. Before that, let me do the announcements. So we've got a couple of sponsors this week and we're always very grateful for the sponsors. So thank you everyone who supports us. Phil Olson is the episode sponsor. He writes, keep up the good work team. The podcast is always an entertaining listen and a real bright point in these challenging times. Long may it continue. Thank you, Phil. And the beers are bought by Julian Roberts, who says, and I will read it out, but let's not talk about it. Don't let the trolls get you down. Keep on keeping on. We love your show. And of course, our beloved Super Hoops. Cheers, Julian. We won't talk about it apart from to thank you all. Thank everybody for their support for the last couple of weeks. But we do want to keep it on football. So we will do that. And we will go straight on to what has felt like a really fantastic week after a good result against Blackburn. And I come to Flo first. You were there. You were there, right? Yeah, I was there, yeah. Yeah. Um, In your capacity as somebody who earns money for a living and reporting on it for someone else. Yeah, not very much money, sadly. <laughs> but earning a living loosely, but yes, um, uh, it was it, it was good. And it was the first time I'd been there in a while. And I, I hadn't been there since the Swansea game on Boxing Day. And I can't remember on the, if during the Swansea game they were playing uh, the crowd noise because they seem to have done away with that um, for a while now for home games because that was quite a big thing that we were doing definitely for Project Restart. But we seem to have got done away with that now, which I think is quite good in terms of the Loffer Words noiseometer rating. I think it helps because I think when you have the fake crowd noise, I think it makes the players be quieter naturally because there's quite a lot of noise around them. Whereas when you take that away... They just naturally make a lot of noise. And Blackburn was so loud and gobby from the very start. They were in the ref's ear. Obviously, there was that 
Travis um, kind of set to with Austin where he fell to the ground grabbing his face, which was just embarrassing early on. So I thought, yeah, we counted that really well. We got louder as the game went on. And I I felt much more positive about that win than the Watford win, to be honest, weirdly. It just felt like quite a dirty, nasty win that sometimes you've got to do. And it's just very, like Clive said, un-QPR. So it's quite nice when you get a result like that because it feels like you're going somewhere. It feels like you're building on something. It feels like there's progress rather than just beating a good team randomly and then taking 10 steps backwards, which seems to have been the kind of story of the season. So I appreciated that win. And it, yeah, it was a good overall, good, good performance. Flo, thank you. Um, having said, I've messed up the timings. I definitely have. So we're going to, because we need to hold the Blackburn chat because delighted to say we've been joined by Martin Rowland. So we're going to talk to Martin for a bit and come back to all of that uh, later. I know Josh was primed to make an amazing point, but now you've got sort of 15, 20 minutes to make it even better. Martin, welcome to the club. Thanks for joining us. Good evening, guys. How 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 is it all for you? We we almost need to start every sort of interview and chat with this. How's lockdown three for you? Um, it's okay. I mean, everybody's in the same boat. We're well, there's a bit of homeschooling going on. Trying to do as much work as possible to keep yourself as active as you can. Obviously, the football being on the TV all the time is good because it's you've got something to watch and something to be involved in and um, but yeah, it's it's tough for everybody, isn't it? I mean, not being able to socialise and see family and stuff, it's, it's difficult, but you've got to try to make the best of a bad situation, I suppose. What, what What's your uh, specialist school subject, Martin? What what are you always playtime. on for? Bedtime? Playtime. Yeah. Oh, playtime. Play and stuff, that's it. I don't, everyone I don't... seems to have their areas. I'm thrown on for religious studies, I don't know why. But everyone seems to have their key areas, but nothing specialist for you. No, I've got to be honest. I do my best to try and help and keep them at it. But even they're getting weary of it and tired of having to do it at home. And I didn't think I'd ever hear my kids saying that they can't wait to go back to school. So we're getting close to that point, but hopefully soon. Do you know what, Martin? We're to to the university and my homeschooling involves... Um, hangover cures for my daughter. It's brilliant. All she ever asked me about is hangover cures. Nothing else. It's fantastic. That's the only yeah, thing in life I, I know about. They keep asking me about that. <laughs> I'm sending in to get the tablets every morning before they start school. <laughs> <laughs> I've always said it. For anyone listening, by the way, egg in a cup and iron brew and you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, Martin, how much football have you watched? Probably too much. It's on. I mean, it's on most days at the moment, isn't it? It's you can try to pick and choose your days, but on a Saturday, you can sort of watch from an academy game from around ten thirty, all the way through till the last game generally kicks off at eight pm. And in the meantime, you've got soccer Saturday in the middle of it all. So, as you can imagine, I'm not very popular in the house on a Saturday. And have you caught any QPR the last few weeks? Bits highlights and bits of it to be honest but not as much um i've watched a few of the live games a few weeks back which weren't so great but since then we've we've kicked on and and moved on you know charlie austin coming in is a fantastic signing not just for his ability but for the person he is and the leader in the dressing room the experience and you know he's galvanized the group with with coming in and people will learn off him and and his experience how just to ask you a question on that, and I've got loads of other things to ask you, but when a I don't mean this in an unkind way, but I mean he's literally a big time Charlie, right? Because he's called Charlie and he's he's yeah. a big player. When like a really big name comes in to a dressing room, how significant is that? How can that affect like the rest of the group and the other players? Because it seems to go wrong quite a lot, but for some reason so far with him, it, it hasn't. Well, he's, he's obviously got history with the club as well. So he's coming in as a, a bit of a club legend for what he did at the time he was here previously. So people 
especially the supporters. I know they're not in the stadium, but the supporters are looking at it, seeing it as a big sign in, and the players will see that and they will read stuff and see it. And just the, the, the type of person he is, I mean, I don't know him very well. I wasn't there when he came in, but from what I heard speaking to coaches and to people, he's just a, a very good, honest pro, a really good lad and like be, will be great with all the younger players that are in the squad and, and just help try to lead the group. So, He's come in as somebody that's going to galvanise the group and lead the group, but also be a massive asset on the pitch. I mean, we were struggling with putting the ball in the net. He's going to be the forefront of creating chances. And, you know, if he gets a chance, he's a very good finisher. And um, what is your... You, you've been... Um, I don't know how connected you are or aren't to the club at the moment, but what's your sort of analysis of where the club is they obviously I mean they have more changes than someone who has more changes can't remember where I was going they change a lot this club right and and the last few years have seen a sort of another change in approach and strategy and it feels very different obviously from when you were there what's your sort of take on where the club is at the moment um well, we, we was previously in sort of transition when Mark Warburton come in, as in like the amount of money being spent previously and sign-ins and wages. And he's obviously had to steady the ship, um, not not been able to pay the big wages that were previously being paid. Um, obviously, there's a lot of younger players that have been coming through that are an asset to the club and some have moved on. You know, Eze and, and Bright, uh, they've moved on, but that's give the club funds and previously we were spending a lot of money out on salaries and transfer fees without being left with an asset so you you spend a lot of money out but the asset was diminished because of maybe the age or the wages or the type of player it was whereas this now with what they're trying to do with the academy and the 23s and the players coming through the system for the club these players will have more of a feel for the club as well because they would have been there and seen it and I think the manager's done a great job. I know it was a bit sketchy a few weeks ago. There was a lot of bad results and a lot of people were calling for this or that. But I think the main thing is stability for the club at the moment. I mean, we're not really in a position where the club would, just don't get me wrong, we all want to be in the Premier League and it's fantastic. But for the club to go back up too soon, we've seen it go wrong a few times. So to, to get the stable footing for what the club is building now and build into that, so that you you can become a force and you can stay there, i.e. like your Burnleys and, and clubs like that have done. And, you know, that's that's the aim for the club, I see. But it's obviously going down a different route of, of bringing through younger, hungrier talent. Well, on that, we had quite a few questions for you on Twitter when we put it out that you were coming on. And we are inevitably going to talk about Brentford because of your connection and the fact that we are playing them before the next podcast. Um Laurie O'Hara, by the way, says, can you just tell him that I love him? So that isn't, <laughs> that isn't a question. Um, you talk about us and the structure and what we need to put in place. And we've got a very simple question here, which is ask Martin about Brentford and how they've done it. And perhaps that's a good question to ask you with yeah. that game coming up. Well, I, I mean, obviously I moved from Brentford to QPR many years back now. I've nothing but good good thoughts for, for Brentford. I mean, at the time, it was a bit of animosity, more on their side than it was on mine, and whatever happened, happened. But what they've done since Matthew Benham has gone into the club is nothing short phenomenal. I mean, they've had a lot of turnover of players, but they've made an awful lot of money on the way they've they've done their recruitment. Um, they've brought in a, a lot of money. They've recruited very, very well. I'm not sure how they recruit, whether it's stat-based. A lot of people say it's very stat-based previously, and I know that's partly changed. Obviously, Mark Warburton was manager before. I'm not sure if there was some falling out between the way they wanted to go then. I did feel that when Dean Smith was there, he did a great job. Um, but the new guy that's come in as, as... I mean, they play really good, exciting football. Um Obviously, the centre forward scoring a lot of goals, but in terms of the football club, they've moved stadium, which is good for them. Um, their recruitment, as I said, has been has been really, really good, and I mean they're they're in a good position as it stands now. But let's hope that the next week or so we can uh, do the job. And I, I like this we. I like the constant we, Martin. It's good. 
Yeah. It's, it's, it's good. Uh, I think either Josh or Paul had a question. I think I think we should go for it, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Good evening, Martin. Um, I just want to just come back and ask you something about something you said about that youth development. Um, you know, we think in recent years, players that have come through and been given the opportunity, your Eze's, your Lumley's, your Danelle Furlong's. When you were playing, I don't think we, I don't think we produced anyone in a su sustained run in the first team between probably Ray Jones and Donnell. Would those players that I've just listed there, do you think they'd have been given the opportunity in the first team if they were play if they were there when you were playing? Um, in my initial when I, when I signed, there was quite a few younger lads that were on the edge of it that had come through the academy. You had Richard Paquette, Wes Daly, Marcus Bean. There's probably one or two I've missed, but they were sort of on the edge of it and they'd be on the bench. They would make some appearance, but as you said, they never sort of broke in and stayed in, you know, and then they moved on and, and their careers went to where, wherever they went to. But in terms of the lads that have come through recently, Joe's obviously done very well over, over years. I know he's not playing at the moment, but he's done well. Eze is obviously a top, top talent. 100% would have come through and played. His talent would have shone through. You know, he went out to Wickham, did brilliant for Gaz, and then come back. Maybe had one sort of half where there was a lot resting on Ez because he was like the leader of trying to be creative. And I think that fell on his shoulders because he was still young. And then since that season went, I mean, he kicked on and he's doing fantastic at Palace now. But them, them players would have definitely had opportunities because their talent would have been too much to show through. I mean, in the later part of when I was there, when when Tony Fernandez took over and we was doing a lot of buying of players when Mark Hughes was there and Harry Redknapp was there, maybe then the opportunities wouldn't have been there because we was going down a total different route of what was happening with the football club. And I'm a fan and I know you guys are. I felt it sort of lost its way a bit and it wasn't the club didn't feel how it feels now and how it had previously felt. It was going down a different route and it didn't work out. And, you know, we're back to being the football club that that bases itself on being together with the supporters, with the players and, and move, moving forward in the right direction now, I feel. So just reading between the lines then, is it, what's the balance to be struck between, at a first team level, giving those players that are there uh, an opportunity the balance to be struck between that and actual investment in coaching and development and scouting at younger ages. So, is, you know, is it the case then that those players just probably weren't there because we hadn't got that first bit right? Possibly, yeah. Possibly the, the talent wasn't there coming through the academy at that point. You know, there were some good ones in and around the edge at times, but maybe they just wasn't at the level they needed to be at. But, but obviously a lot of investment has gone into the academy in recent years. You know, and it's producing better players that that can come through quicker. But the model has changed as well. The the model has changed to really look at that, whereas previously that wasn't being necessarily looked at so much. So whether the talent was there, I mean, it's always going to be hard for QPR as a Category Two academy. Your best players will generally be looked at by Category One clubs you know and if you're in the area of London there's so many clubs and opportunities for these lads trying to keep the best best ones to come through will always be difficult and you hope you can and I mean I, I've not actually followed much of the academy in the last six to nine months because we haven't been able to get to games but previously I was going to games I'd speak to Paul Furlong and speak to Andy Impey and Paul Hall and you know you can see what they're trying to do and what the club's trying to do but ultimately it does rest on talent and ability. You you can't have too many young lads and throw them in. You need experience because it could be too much pressure and it can it can just drown people that they can't cope. There's too many young lads. But if you bring in a few, as we are at the moment, like Ilias has gone out on loan, come back, done very well, just signed a new contract. You know, it's building for the future and, and having assets out of the academy is, is what the club is trying to do, I feel. It's interesting you say that, Martin, because I've said it many a time in this podcast and I've, I've probably bored everyone and myself. I, I think it's hard for youngsters. I think if you you were starting the game now, I wonder what kind of career you'd have because 
you don't get time to grow into be a player, do you? you? You kind of, it's supposed to be, it's pretty instant, isn't it? You, you come on, you're supposed to be a right back, that any other right back in the league would be straight away. You don't get a chance to grow into your position and stuff. Do you think there's a lot of pressure on kids these days to be faster developing than, than say when you were starting out, where you probably were given a bit more of a chance? Absolutely, yeah. There's a, and there's an awful lot more academy players because there's tw- under 23s, under 18s, and you're talking that's across the board of probably the top three leagues, you know, that, that have that system in place. So you're talking an awful lot of players at every football club. So opportunity is going to be slim. And it is, you need to do well straight away. Otherwise, you may not get that second chance. So you need a bit of luck. You need, you need to have the talent, but a bit of luck. But also, it's very hard for managers to put young mm. lads in and have trust in them because as you said there with younger players needing instant success, managers need success now because longevity of the job is an awful lot harder. They, they, a lot of the time they do not get given the time to build the club and bring the talent through. So therefore they go with experience and what they trust rather than taking the risk of using some younger players because it's such a results-based business. And one last question from me for the time being. Um, why is our record against Brentford so bloody bad, do you think? Um, mine's not. Mine's not. <laughs> I never mm. lost. Yeah, you see, you're, just, it, isn't it? You're, you're not available Saturday, though. You, you, you've got homeschooling today. But it's really annoying, Martin, because when you came, if memory serves you right, and you know I'm getting on these days, so I don't. You broke your leg, only took a chance, and you came to QPR, and they hated you for it, which is a bit ridiculous, really. But. No one's seen the rise of Brentford as, as they are now. I mean, they, they buy players, apparently, due to the fact they go through stats on teams that are overachieving, players that are overachieving. But back in the day, they were a much different club. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just wondering why they seem to have, like, some kind of sign over us at the moment. I don't know. If, I mean, when I've watched a few of the, the derbies, the Brentford QPR derby, in recent years, I mean, probably talking the last four years maybe ish there doesn't seem to be the passion and the between the players this is the fans is obviously there but the players it's very different I mean when I was there we was QPR supporters me Gaz Birch Kev Cookie we were so together as a unit and everyone came together you know it was like this is big you know like it's all out this is this is massive. And Brentford had players back then that was like that as well. But it seems to have evolved into the players not seeing it as much of a derby. I know the game's changed and you can't really fly into tackles as much and, and things have changed. But in terms of them having a bit of a, a hold over us, I don't I don't really know what the reason behind that would be. I mean, they are, they are a very good side at the moment. You, you, we can't deny that. They're a very good side and do things very well the way they, the way they play. But I don't know what would be. I know what I would do, but I probably wouldn't be allowed to do that anymore. Um, Martin, I want to just ask, I presume, just judging from what you said, are you working in scouting now? No, I'm an agent now for Stella Group, ICM Stella. So that's what I do. We look after players. We obviously just just do everything in terms of looking after them. We scout young players. We look through academies and and. That's that's sort of the job I'm into. They looked after me when I was a player for 15, 15 years, and um, I've gone into work work for the company, and I love what I do. Um, we try to help my. I really try to help the young lads that are developing and show them. Look, this is what it takes. You know, it's not easy. There's a lot of sacrifices, especially now. There's a lot of wrong roads to go down in terms of social medias, uh, you, you know, you have to sacrifice things that your friends can all do and stuff. And it's just helping to educate them, I suppose, in what it is and what it takes to have a, a career in the game. Talent isn't enough anymore. You have to have the desire and the hunger to, to really push on. It will get you so far, but if you really want to make the best of your career, there's a lot more that you have to sacrifice. Any um, any Sorry. big any names that we should be looking out for of your clients on the horizon that are going to be you know the next Ibira Eze's? Um, we've got a lot of clients as a company. Um, I personally help look after Connor Masterson, who's out on loan at Swindon. He's obviously he's just got injured actually, so 
um, we're in the middle of sorting out what's going to happen with that. Um, but they, yeah, I've got a lot of good quality young lads, but I wouldn't want to put it out there and put pressure on anybody. You know, we've <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not, definitely not. We want to help develop and and see them progress at, at some of the big clubs and, and stuff. So hopefully, if I do my job well and help them, they can progress to having good careers. Yeah, and the finest one ask. I feel like. The, the generation of the, the team that you mentioned as well um, uh, and that squad that you played in was probably the last time I think that as a fan base, we had actually quite a good collection of songs and chants. Um, and I think that was definitely maybe represented in, in that group, like the bond that that group had definitely kind of rubbed off on the fan base. So what was it like being part of that, that team? And why do you think the fans kind of found you guys as such a special group? Um, the, the reason I think the fans did is because they knew every time we went on the pitch, we was given 110% for the football club, for the fans, for each other. I mean, we would have run through brick walls for each other. We was friends. We used to socialise. So, as you said, the bond was there. You know, Ollie was a big part of it. He, he was very big on team spirit and his man management of keeping the group together. And, and you know, it's us against everyone. And we really took that on board and we, we, we sort of grabbed it and ran with it you know we sort of ran the dressing room ourselves Ollie was obviously the big foot but we we sort of all looked after ourselves and did everything and as you said the bond was big and we had a fantastic few years together you know and obviously that's what happens football people move on people get older people have injuries times change but for that initial period is one of the fondest times of my football career 100 it, it was huge so- so I've got a question on that from Chris Hermitage because you were there for part of the four-year plan, I think, yes. or at least the start of it. Yes. Craziest memory slash scenario at QPR. He asks, was it Eccleston coming in the changing rooms and moaning we spent too much on bottles of Lucasaid and Jelly Babies? Please say no. Please say there's a crazier story than that. No, that, that definitely wasn't, but... There was many a story of stuff that was going on in the background. You know, you, you'd come in days and there'd, there'd be times where you couldn't really believe what happened. I wouldn't even really want to say or put it out there. Things that happen in training grounds and at grounds, you'd tend to just keep within them four walls. But there were times where you'd think, surely this this isn't real. This is, this is that surely cannot be happening, you know, i.e. the stuff where... Gianni Palladini, who is, was a great guy and had a fantastic relationship, but they're talking about people putting guns to people during a match. We're coming off the pitch. We don't know what's going on. You know, there was a lot of times of a bit of chaos through that period. But I mean, there, there are many a, a crazy story I could tell, but I, I don't necessarily wouldn't want to put it on air, let's say. But do you I think, think so, in, in some ways, Martin, that made the club a bit different a bit more together because that's fierce the people running the club didn't have a freaking clue what they were doing and um it it, it, it might have had more of a it just brought you guys together somewhere it's because like there's a bit when the training ground was shot and you know Mark would phone you up make up some story that he was told by the club doing bloody bloody blah, blah, blah. It, it must have been bizarre at times but then again at the same time it must have made you more more determined just to get on with things i guess well it did initially when ollie was there like you say but the changeover of managers after Ollie, I mean, I, I couldn't, I can't remember how many there was in that short period, but I would say you're talking eight, nine or 10 in a, in a, in a short two to three year span, which mm. it's always, you're never going to, like we spoke about earlier, you need stability. You need to be able to build that camaraderie between you. But when Ollie was there, anything that was negative was turned into a positive by the manager and by us as players, we just saw the positive in everything and we knew what the aim was. And that was for us to get promotion. And we, we literally would have done anything for it. And we got there because even in that first year, there was a lot of stuff. I mean, it was the season after losing in the playoffs. There was a lot of negativity at the start. There was, but we, we just rose above all of that stuff as a group of players and staff and managers and, and sort of came together. Did you ever get your Rolex? Did you ever get your Rolex watch, Leroy? I didn't know <laughs> that story. And, I think that was either a fake story or they just left me out of that. And the, going back just one bit to your scouting. Sorry, Dave. I just want to want to in my head. You know, I'm getting old and I forget things very easily. It's my age. I wasn't aware of this, but in the new times of like um, 
post-Brexit and stuff. Is it true that we can't really get players from the lower leagues in Europe anymore? There's a certain amount of points that has to be made. So the likes of us getting like the likes of Leisner and Holder and stuff is, is a lot more difficult because you have to have so many points and basically players are being looked at from the top leagues rather than the second division of Germany, France, etc. Yes, there's a point system where you have to pass a certain criteria to get your work permit because we're no longer part of the EU. So, as you said, the top teams will be all right because there'll be international players, so they have the point system. I think it goes on transfer fee and salary and things like that as well. So, in terms of bigger clubs being able to buy young foreign talent as well in academies, it will change and it will possibly give more opportunity to young English players coming through because they won't be able to go as far afield to buy them. So it could be a big opportunity for young English, British players to have the opportunity through the academies that maybe wouldn't have been there had clubs still been able to buy young foreign players. So it's a good time for agents of young English talent then, Martin? It could be, providing they do as they're told, yeah. British talent. Um, British, yeah. British, yeah, you're right, you're right. Uh, I beg your pardon. Um, Paul Stokes wants to know, he wants you to come clean about whether it was a shot or cross against Wickham in 2004. <laughs> Which was that one? The windy day. That was a cross. The windy day. It was a cross. Oh, you're, supposed, you're supposed to at least say, you're it supposed was to at least cross. pretend it was a shot. I can remember, it was 2-2 the game was, I think. Did we go two up or did they go two up? I think we went two up or did we equalise? I can't, I can't fully remember I if we went two that. up or if they was two up because it was literally the whole game was played in one half because the wind was, I mean, we was amazed the game was still on. You, you could not kick the ball without the wind just taking it. And that was even if the ball was on the floor. But I remember I sort of angled a ball towards sort of between the penalty spot and the box to sort of find a, a forward, obviously on a, on a bit of a half a, a cross stroke ping into the box and the wind just took it straight over the, the keeper's head and yeah we'll take that a goal's a goal for me I'm not I'm not gonna a goal is a goal do you know what Martin do you know, I remember that match I don't know if you remember do you remember the goal kicks were like flying back at them it was hilarious yeah it was it was it was crazy it was like the keeper couldn't kick it between the the penalty circle and the the centre circle it was dropping like 30 yards from goal and it was it was I mean, it, was, it should never have been on, if we're honest. The game should have been called off. But There was one, there was one bit in the game. I mean, I was blindly drunk as always, but I remember there was a bit in, in the game where the ball must have stayed there what felt like a lifetime because the wind just couldn't decide where the frigging thing was going. And I thought at one stage the corner flags were going to fly into the stand as well. It, it shouldn't have been plagiarised. But <laughs> do you know what? It still wasn't as bad as if the game was being um, refereed by Rob Styles. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um. Martin, last question before we let you go. Uh, and and Chorizo on Twitter says, this is not a very original question, but what was your favourite goal for QPR? Seeing as we're talking about goals. My favourite goal, well, the most important goal I felt I scored was at, against Swindon at home, the, the game before Sheffield Wednesday away in our promotion season. We had to win that game. And we won 1-0 and I scored early in the game. And, I, and I rem- that, was an, that was an extremely important goal because of the circumstances. We was under a lot of pressure from Bristol City. They were on our tails. Plymouth were going really well. And in terms of importance, I mean, it wasn't a great goal. It was, I think I came in from the back post and I was about four yards out. So, But in terms of my favourite goal, um, there's a few free kicks that were in there. There's, there's the Wolves goal I scored. Um, my first goal was a good goal away to Wrexham where um, that was a good goal. But I mean, there's a number of, of good strikes that I hit, but to pick my favourite would be too too hard. But my most important was definitely that goal. Tell you what, man, that Wolves goal was massively underrated. That over, that's over that gone under the radar. The dip you got on that. I think they were top of the league at the time, weren't they? Or near the top. Yeah. That was, that was I, an unbelievable goal. It was live on Sky as well, wasn't it? I think it was live on Sky. Yeah, I, I just sort of I know Adji picked the ball up and I just sort of, it dropped to me and I, I just sort of sh- struck across it slightly. And it, listen, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and say, I tried to put that dip on it, but the way I struck it, obviously put the dip onto it and 
it ended up in the net. So I'll take that. Do you know, do you know I remember thinking at that, that game, Martin, I think that's it. He's off to Madrid. We're not keeping him now. <laughs> I wasn't that like happy. you say, you're blind drunk during most games. <laughs> <laughs> um, Martin, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, always good to talk to you. Please come on again. Get Connor Masterson fit and uh, back here when the time back at QPR when the time's right. And uh, good luck with the homeschooling. Yeah, I need it at the moment. But no, cheers, guys. Thanks for having me on. And like you say, I look forward to coming on again soon. Please do, mate. Cheers, good to hear from you. Cheers, Martin. Take care. Cheers, Thank guys. you, Martin. It's mine. Bye. Right. Who thought that Martin Rowlands would explain Brexit? <laughs> I well, didn't see that coming. It's, sorry about that. It's only something I heard this week. And I, he's writing somewhere as well. You think, oh, well, you know, the likes of getting someone from the Bundesliga second and blah, blah. But then, as he says, it gives opportunities to kids from all over the UK. So, I mean, I've it. mainly heard it framed in the, in the um, reasoning that finally Brentford might not be able to get all the best players from Europe and give someone else a chance at being a bit savvy in the division. But I mean, yeah, there's been issues with Premier League clubs already in the January transfer window saying, oh, we couldn't get this person. So in reality, I, it'd be great if it will, but we'll have to wait and see, won't we? But To, to be honest with you, Floyd, the greatest problem, and I'm, I'm not just saying it because I can't stand them, with youth players is Chelsea. They rack and stack so many and loan them out. They, they're just robbing clubs of chances and players of careers, in my opinion. And that's a bigger problem than anything. This has got to be stopped because... Cubs like us haven't got a chance. They, they just seem to be sweeping all in front of them. I mean, he made the point, though, that just if, you, if you're a club in London, you're going to fight anyway. If we were a club based, I don't know, in Lincolnshire and it was just us and Lincoln City fighting for this talent, it wouldn't be so difficult. But London, I mean, everyone is trying to get their hands on the best players. So but, yeah, it doesn't make it's, our it's, lives any easier. Yeah, but, but the trouble is... Players change, it changes, yeah, but it's nationwide as well, David. You know, it's not just London. I think the the, the release, as he says, is category um, one and two, isn't it? In, in the in the, the academy, so academy one will always like, trump anybody else. And then if they do yeah. get someone, you, you don't get much conversation. Let's face it. It's, like, it's, everything... it's, it's interesting the approaches though, because I saw recently that Birmingham are apparently going down the route of Brentford and are going to start doing a B team situation, mainly because they're quite poor so they're just selling off players because they need some money but they're looking at apparently moving to a b team but then they've also said that they want to have a category one academy and want to spend the money so they're kind of playing two games at the same time but we might just see more of an approach where everyone just follows suit with brentford and starts having a b team because they think that's the way forward but i don't think qpr's that at that point yet because we haven't got enough stock but anyway we digress david needs us to get back i'm, onto I'm gonna gonna wind your minds back whatever <laughs> it is 30 minutes ago um, good luck with us because josh has been sitting on this amazing point <laughs> so much pressure david game. so much I'm pressure not... <laughs> wow. no uh, thank you I, I mean i loved our second what what flo said really earlier like i think i I thought we were absolutely brilliant. I enjoyed the Watford game more because my housemate's a Watford supporter and I watched it with him and I was so satisfying. Um, but I agree, the Blackburn win was great for all the reasons that you said, that it was it was gritty. I, I think the point has to be made now that the defence is so has been so good, not just in the last few games, but all season it's been so much improved on where on where we were. And you guys have talked about the influence that Dieng and Dicky have had. And I, I agree with both of those points, but I think we need to give credit to the guys that were already there. I think Barbe was, has been excellent. Blackburn, I had him man of the match. Even players like Lee Wallace, who haven't been massively keen on. I think he's had a, the Wat in Watford and Blackburn had a fantastic game. And I thought Kane's been excellent in both of those games as well. So I think, I, I think, from back to front, the whole defence has improved and that just gives everybody so much more confidence on the ball. And that's why I enjoyed that game so much more because I think I think we're, we're starting to show that we've learned from some of the, the problems that we faced last season. I think it's well what's happening, um, Josh. And that's a good point, actually. He's very good, David. He can come again because he, he talks sense and I don't have to say much, thank <laughs> God. Because I talk a little bit of shade. But... Um, 
I think it's happened, Charlie. Austin, you don't need so. you don't need to talk sense on this podcast to get a return invite. That's for Fair sure. Point. But That's like, I think having Austin in the side's help because the defense isn't under so much pressure, and knowing that we've got a finisher in the side really helps. And hopefully, it'll start rubbing off on the other two, and they can start banging away goals. But I think having that outlet and a finisher has Barbet has improved immensely. So is, so is Kane, like you say, and surprisingly, Wallace did really well in Saturday. So. It is amazing the comp, but this is what we've always wanted. You know, people we come on and we say things sometimes, and maybe we're a bit harsh. I don't know. We all want QPR to succeed, but the frustration was we could see there's a side in there that was playing within itself, and we were losing stupid games. And I frankly thought that Blackburn would beat us inside him because that'd be QPR's way. He beat Watford, then you lose to Blackburn. And if it's a Blackburn games that will keep you up, in all honesty, mm-hmm. they're the yeah, sort of wins yeah. that keep you going. Are we? not giving Warburton enough credit. I keep thinking this because we talk about all the developments that are being made and all the strides forward. And we sort of like say that it's, it, we make out a little bit that it's happening despite Warburton, not because of Warburton. But I've made this point before. Dieng was at the club for four years and no manager gave him a chance going back, I think to Hasselbank. Warburton did. Dickey came in and worked under Warburton. Now, Dickie has developed because Dickie's a good player. But he has to be pointed in the right direction and played in the right system. As the point was made last week, yeah, we weren't happy with the, the defensive system wasn't working. The general system wasn't working up until whatever it was, half a dozen games ago. That's changed. These three at the back with the wing-backs, even if they are sort of slightly deficient wing-backs or not, not necessarily the standard that we particularly want, let's say, it's still working. Is it not Actually, maybe Warburton is doing a good job and should be getting a lot more credit than he is rather than we just sort of have... feels like there's this attitude that it's all happening despite the fact that he's there, not because he's there. I think so. I think, I think he does deserve credit. One of the criticisms that was made of him was that he's too stubborn and doesn't change his mind. And for a while, it looked like that would be true. January changed that, and not just the acquisition of Charlie Austin, but the system change that went with it. He started playing two up top and he's got Chair in this role where Chair actually plays higher up when we don't have the ball than when we do have the ball. And what, that, what that's causing us to do is it's causing us to defend from the front. And that was the difference before is we were playing all this nice football, but then we'd get hit on the break or we'd make a stupid defensive error and we were relying on Barbe at the back um, to deal with it. Now, it's set the tone from Dykes and Austin and Chair. We defend from the front and that filters back throughout the team. And that is, that is almost solely down to, to tactical changes that Warburton's brought in over the past six weeks. I agree. And I, and I gave him stick, to be fair, because um, that's the role that we do in this podcast. We try and be honest and football is about honesty and we've, 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 We've given a bit of a rough ride, and there's no question I felt he was two games away from not being our manager for much longer. And he's he's turned it around. He deserves huge credit. And you're right, David, he hasn't got the credit he, he deserves for the recent turn of events. And um, he certainly deserves it. And he showed that he is a lot more flexible than, than I give him credit for, and many others did. And I love it when managers and players shove words down our throats because that means QPR is doing well, and you can only be happy with that. Um, right. That keeper, though, oh. what a keeper. And Flo, oh. I want to ask you what he is like in the ground. Because we all know, like, Lumley's a very loud keeper, organises his defence, has a kind of, there is a sort of presence about Lumley. Uh, but I don't really get a sense, a proper sense yet, obviously from what I see in the shot stopping and all the rest of it. But what's he like as a sort of commander of that? sort of well it would be back six he is quite loud he is quite loud it's 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 tough because barbe is so loud he's kind of screechy as well that he sort of you you always hear his voice and you're like who is that who is that shouting and then you kind of realize that it's barbe and so he is i think um barbe is becoming a bit of a leader now within the team because of how loud he is and he's he communicates a lot with Dieng. It's always a bit yeah. of a back and forth between them. So, yeah, I think he's he's not as loud as Lumley, um, but he's still he's got quite a sort of low, deep voice. So, it's I would say it's probably more kind of um, like uh, 
powerful, I guess. And yeah, he, he's got leadership qualities to him, that's for sure. Hello, is he, is he quite calming? Is that because he, he strikes me as somebody like the way his judgment across is? Yeah, yeah, he is. He's not. He's not like he's not an erratic goalie. I think mm. that helps. I think in the. I think we have had a tendency to have quite erratic goalies, and I think he does have such a calm presence to him. Mm. And he, I think, it rubs off on other people. And even though on the weekend, you know, there were, I think, there were a few moments where maybe the decision making was a little bit off between defence and, and himself there there was a good it was the communication was good the whole time you know there was an there was a mutual understanding um and i think that's the difference now i think there was a bit of a disconnect between Lumley and Kelly any time they played and you're always going to have when people going in and out but it just de- it definitely felt like there wasn't a togetherness that they have now um and also there's a confidence, like they believe in each other now. The the, the back three or wh- however many it may be, like they they can play knowing that Dieng is going to probably pull out a very good save if something goes wrong. And they didn't necessarily have that before. Do you know what I've... I to, sorry, go on, sorry, Paul. Yeah. Now, what I like about Sunny Dieng is that I don't think we'll keep him for much longer, which is really sad. And... I'd love to see him in the flesh when we get back in the grounds again because I'd love to give him a round of applause. So basically, he Charlie Austin will take the credit if we obviously if we will, we won't go down. But if it hasn't been for Sunny Diang, we would have been marooned beyond belief at this point, and we would have been right in the shit. And I think if he doesn't get Player of the Season, there is something seriously wrong with football. I think he's been outstanding. I think he's confident. I think he's agile. I think he's everything you want in a young goalkeeper. And He's, there's a lot. Of, he's got a great future ahead of him, and I just wish we could hang on to him for a few more seasons. I don't think we will, because he's head and shoulders the best keeper in this division by a country mile. I can't. I agree with all that. I can't remember a player that has ever been at the club, not got a look in for years. I, I think the Borough game was his first ever appearance. I mm. think. Tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, it was. Then, it was in. Yeah, pretty sure it was. And then he like goes from naught to sixty in like record time. He'd gone from being here for years and not getting a look in to being our player of the season, to being literally in more ways than one the first name on the team sheet, to be the one that we're worried about losing to a big money move. I don't remember this ever happening so quickly with a homegrown inverted commas, uh, like so to speak, player. Like it, it, it's it's remarkable the rise really. Is that because we, you know we weren't giving those players the opportunity in, in, in a previous era? We would have gone and bought another Liam Kelly, yeah. we? and we would have got yeah. would Dieng never have even. So is it is it more? Because well, I suppose it's what we've always come back to, which is happy accidents. Eventually, you stumble across someone who's actually quite good, and then it all. That looks... happened with Manning. Do you remember? Yeah, Manning yeah. was sort of an accident. Got in the team under Holloway, and you know, uh, and then ended up playing for a long time and very well for us. You could argue as well. His patience has been amazing. To be perfectly honest with you, to yeah. go and loan the times he has, to sit back and then, without trying to do one of your puns, David, forgive me, but he's grabbed it with both hands, and there's no question about hey. it. And you know, and uh, thank you, Josh. Um, but I, I, I like him a lot, and I think. As a person, as an individual, he's been amazing, and I hope he gets. Um, I hope he gets player of the season. Yeah, and he seems a lovely guy. Oh, um, right. Believe it or not, I'll go on. Before I'll end, I'll ask you this one last thing. I listened to the podcast last week, and I listened to your ridiculous chat, Paul, about how we can make the playoffs. And I feel like I need to revisit it now and I don't want to be massively down on it because lots of people are pinning their hopes on it so I will just ask where is everyone on this idea that we could make the playoffs well I'll be ridiculous again and say why the frig not there you go if 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 Palace can do what they did a few years ago and other teams have done it why can't we I suppose it's more it's more fun isn't it to look up than down so if I was Mark Warburton, if if you can build that belief in the players and set at that as a new target, then that's 
I think that's better motivation than saying, looking down and saying, this is what we're trying to escape. So I don't know what targets they've set internally, but I think it would be interesting to suddenly kind of twist the narrative and say, let's now aim for that and see what we can do. I mean, Swansea got in last season with storming it and basically just dominated Project Restart and played so well. So anything can happen. So uh, yeah, I'm, I don't think it will happen, but I'm ready to believe in that dream rather than the nightmare of relegation. I, I think Finney genuinely believes it will happen. And this is a man who about six weeks ago said, I think we're going down. And I genuinely think that Finney thinks it will. Josh, what do you think? You know what? I think if we can improve every season, I think we finished 13th or 14th last season. If we can improve every season, then I'm happy. And as Flo says, like two weeks ago, we were all looking down. And actually, a lot of the teams around us have been winning as well. If we can just be looking up rather than down um, every year and climbing a little bit higher, then I'm happy. If we can get top half this year, then I'm happy. And then we push on. And it's, it's a, a more long-term approach. Playoffs maybe the year after. Do you know, do you know what I want? I want a February, March, April where we're not losing every game. Because I think it's been the last, has it been the last two or three years? We basically have got to 50 points very early and then don't win anything. I think we had two years in a row of basically not winning in 11, unless someone's going to correct me and tell me that I'm wrong. So it'd be quite nice to have this section of the season actually picking up some points, playing some good football and winning some games. We've been patchy since Holloway, haven't we? Where we? It's been for a few years now where we can look great for a month or two and then awful for a month or two. And you're right, last season, the year before, last season was a bit different because it was obviously a break. But when we came mm. back after, after, we were brilliant going into lockdown, number one, and then awful coming out of it. It's, I'd, I'd, I'd like a February, March, April where we're not losing every week as well. That's not <laughs> doesn't seem like so much to us, does it, David? Believe me, people, it's happening. Carry on. Good, good. I, I don't want to dampen it too much, Paul. I don't, don't need to be that guy. I don't have much um, left. It cheers me up. I'll end. Well, this I'll is start. Anything, everything. Go on then, Paul. Go on, you start. I, I've got two. I'll be very quick because I know time is running out for people. Um, firstly, I want to be Brentford. I don't care how we do it. I don't care if we have to put a noisy helicopter over the stadium so we time to go kick it and noise the hell out of them. I don't care how we do it. And I know they're doing well. I know you can't criticise them because everything they've done with their own money, blah, 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 blah. I want to be the start of their downfall. So as we make the playoffs, I want them to come the other way. And what better way? We've got to put our record right in, in local derbies. It's shite. Utter, 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 utter shite. So on, on Wednesday, Flo, listen to this. I want pride. I want passion. And I want a goal off someone's arse. I don't care whose arse. And I want us to win. And I'll be sitting in Barnard, pissed as a fart, enjoying it because I want to stick one over them lot in Middlesex. And I want to make a bus stop cry. That's what I want to do. Secondly, more seriously, there's going to be a little um, thing at the end of this podcast in dedication to Richard McLennan, who sadly passed away and who's being buried on Wednesday, sadly, before the Brentford game in his blue and white coffin. Um, his friend Gary kindly has just recorded a message for a couple of minutes speaking about his friend, his loss and how, and the games have been together and, and, and things like that. So please, if you've got two minutes, please, please, please listen to it. Um, we've lost many people during this lockdown pandemic and there'll be many empty seats so please listen at the end and um may he rest in peace and i'm sending huge love and support to his family for wednesday which is going to be a horrible day and um come on rangers win it for richard on wednesday more importantly than my rant about beating brentford i had one yesterday and then i forgot to write it down so now i can't remember what it is Oh, mm. I mean, that's, that's not a very entertaining podcast segment. I've got to say. So, um, um, well, that makes like, my eyes end look fantastic. Well, I'll done. try and do remember. Need, do, you, do you need to go, by the way, Flo? Yeah, I do actually need to go. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, okay. Well, um, we can let you out early. My prediction for Saturday is 2 1 to us. What about okay. Brentford? Uh, we're going to lose. They're just too good. Okay, see you later. Bye. Bye, Flo. Um, my R's end was actually only about Brentford. And it's around the fact that 
we do two things. We keep talking about them a lot because they've got in our heads, but then we don't admit they've got in our heads. And I want to say to everyone, it's okay to say they live rent-free some of the time in our heads. It's okay to say that because I see a lot on social media accusing Brentford fans of doing the same. And I think just own it. We're all in the same boat. We don't like what we see. We don't like how they've been so well run the last few years. We don't like the fact that they've got a very good team. We don't like the fact that they are have been historically much smaller club than us around the corner. It's annoying. I totally agree. But let's not pretend that it doesn't bother us because it does bother us. And that is my head, only they comment. They're not in your head, are they? They're not in your head at all. There's 91 teams that live rent-free in my head. 91. Yeah. And yeah, I get what you're saying, David. And you know what? You're right. But it's just irritating the bollocks out of me when we lose them because they're like, oh, a lot. We sat in the pub last year, right, at their gaff. And there's a lot of these new, lovely, shiny red and white scarves that have appeared that they wouldn't have been near a football match for 20 years and blah, 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 blah. And you're getting patronised by these people who, who, you know, just find football, bless them, and that's nice. Everyone's entitled to find football. And they're going to be wee shades, and they probably don't even know the history of their own club. For the ones that went to places like Carlisle and Crewe, fair enough. But the, the Johnny Club ladies that have jumped on, that are giving us crap on social media, that didn't even know football existed 10 years ago, they get in my nerves. And yes, they are living rent-free in my head. I'll admit it. I want to beat them, and I want to beat them well. Paul, in your head, in your West London head... Please don't go there. It's, we, it's complicated. If we talk in terms of monopoly properties, so green uh, green for a house, red for a hotel, mm-hmm. how many properties do Chelsea have? How many do Brentford have? And how many do Fulham have? In that I'll put it, of yours? I'll put it in terms of a zoo, right? And I'll, no, I'll put it in terms of a, a circus. Brentford's a clown. Fulham's a clown and a juggler. And Chelsea's a whole fucking circus. Okay, I think I think uh, we got there in the end. I think I understand now. Uh, Josh, by the way, Finney, great R's end that sort of bled into everyone else's R's end throughout the last ten minutes. Uh, Thank you, Josh. Josh, finish us off. Uh, a couple, a couple from me. Um, I think. Um, I think I forgot to mention it when Martin Rodens was on, but he, he might not even know this. But if you're still listening, Martin, um, you lent me some boots when I was twelve years old. Some football boots. I don't know if that means I have massive feet or you have tiny feet, uh, but thank you, Martin, for those. If you're still hang listening, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang <laughs> on. He's lent you. He lent you some boots. He gave me some boots, actually, not lent. So his, um, my coach is one of his best mates, another QBR fan um, called Dan Mills. So shout out Dan if you're listening as well. And um, he knew I was a QBR supporter, and uh, he said I can get you Martin Rowland's boots. And um, match, he delivered. Match worn or match just worn. from like a sponsor? Very no, good. match worn. Did you... Ma- match worn. So they were old, like they were used. Did you wear them? I did wear them for about a year and then my feet got too big. So, so as a 12-year-old, you had the same size feet as Martin Rowland, but by the time you were mm-hmm. 13, you were bigger than Martin Something Rowland. Something like that. Well, Martin Rowland's quite, quite a, I was always quite tall, right? He's quite a short lad anyway, isn't he? For rel- relatively speaking, isn't he, Martin, Martin Rollins? But so yeah, I had the same size feet as Martin Rollins when I was 12 and 13. That's correct. Can I, okay. Can I just say something? Can I just say something? Sorry, chaps. And, and I've had my RZ, I've had me haven't done my protections yet. That's why I freaking love our club. Do you know that? <laughs> that story there sums up our club. How many, you don't get that at your Chelsea's, your Man United's, your Liverpool's, all that, all them big time Charlies, whatever. That's brilliant. My mate says he can get me Martin Rollins' boots and he goes and does it. Exactly. They could love it. So well done. What's his name again? Uh, Martin Rollins. <laughs> Dan Mills. Dan well Mills. done, Dan. And, that, and, and Dan, if you've got any stories and you want to come on the podcast, let us know because I'd love to hear some more stories from you because I love that. Josh, you had a Paul Finney style second point. Sorry, Josh. I did, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I just wanted to say that so the era that Martin was playing in, obviously, um, was a fascinating and weird era and everyone who's connected with the football club knows that and you've actually you have had him on you have had him on as a guest already but I wanted to sort of plug his book Ben Kosky's book which is Are You Rangers in Disguise um, I just wanted just for anyone that hasn't had the opportunity to listen to the podcast what Ben came on to um, 
or anyone hasn't had a chance to, to read it, I, I can't recommend that book enough um, as for someone who's documented from a media and supporters perspective, just how weird the club was as a place to be at throughout the, from sort of the Briatore, Palladini eras, and even through the Tony Fernandez era um, as well. So highly recommend mm -hmm. that book. Brilliant. Very good. And and give us your double prediction for Rotherham followed by um, Brentford. I don't think we're going to podcast before Brentford, but we might. But on the basis that we mm. won't, both those games. Uh, we're going to beat Rotherham 2-0 because we're better than them. Although they're in pretty good form as well, aren't they? But we're just better. Um, Brentford will be a struggle. We've got a terrible record. So I'm going to do a David Fraser and I'm going to say one all with a, a wink next to that. Mm, interesting. Okay. I think we're going to win both. I think we're going to win both. I think we're going to beat Rotherham 2-0 and I think we will beat Brentford because like what you said before, Paul, and Martin said about the players not necessarily getting it, I think they're going to get it this time. They're going to understand the importance of this game. They got Charlie whipping them up. Uh, I, 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 I'm going to go 2-0 in both. Uh, I, think so, I think I'd be called off due to weather. There's one we've never had in the podcast ever. Very good. So yeah. I'm predicting the weather won both teams zero on that one. But if it does go ahead, like Josh, I think, I think now is a good time for us to play them. I think what the manager's done has been bloody amazing, to be honest, with the budget they've got. But I'd like to see us beat them, obviously, and I think we can. And Brentford, yes, please, 2-0, 1-0, a penalty in the last minute, I don't care. And it's quite interesting because we had Martin Rollins on and we've talked about um, Martin, who's being buried on Wednesday. Martin was actually with his wife, Faith, Martin Rollins' kit sponsor. So, and I forgot to mention that to Martin, so I'm sorry about that. But yes, I think we can beat them. We can beat them well. They'll probably score because they score every game, so it'll probably be 2-1. We'll need to get two goals. And if we do beat them... I will be over the moon, Brian. Yes. And for anyone still listening, um, hang on after the theme music at the end, because that's when the tribute to Richard uh, will play that out in full. Anybody that um, wants knew him um, and wants to hear a little bit more about him and his life. And that draws us to an end. So good podcast, chaps. Thank you to Flo, who's gone. We let her out early. Um, and yeah, hopefully next time we speak, we'll have six more points. So this has been Open All Ours. Come on, you ours. Beat Brentford! On Monday the 1st of February, we lost my best friend, and long-time QPR fan Richard McLennan. Richard had been a season ticket holder and a regular kit sponsor for many years, sponsoring Martin Rowlands for several seasons and more recently Ozzie Kakai and Connor Masterson. Richard saw his first game in 1965, a victory over Brighton and Hove Albion. Two years later he witnessed our fabulous comeback at Wembley to beat West Bromwich Albion 3-2 in the League Cup final. He was a great admirer of Gordon Jago and the team that formed the basis of our outstanding side that finished runners-up in the top division in 1975-76. Who can forget beating Leeds 2-0 at home, thinking that perhaps we had won the league on that April day? Certainly not Richard and I, as we joined all the happy fans in Trafalgar Square, culminating in a chilly tube trip home after our frolic in the fountains of celebration. We were together for our first European adventure in 1976-77, cheering the team on from our position in the paddock behind the dugout. We survived major disappointment in 1977 when Brian Little scored a hat-trick against us in the League Cup semi-final for Aston Villa at Highbury. A happier visit to Highbury came in 1982 when we beat West Bromwich Albion on our way to our only FA Cup final versus Spurs. Richard was living in Third Avenue at that time and we joined the Happy Rangers throng walking to Wembley along the Harrow Road escorting the coffin, carrying the bones of the soon-to-be-defeated Spurs team, if only. What joy on the Wembley terraces when Terry Fennick equalised to set up the midweek replay. How disappointing that the majestic Tony Curry brought down the less-than-majestic Graham Roberts for a Spurs penalty in that final.
Further joy in the 1990s, founder members of the newly formed Premier League and finishing top London club and another European campaign. Richard, e Richard even attended reserve games at Loftus Road to check on the up-and-coming talent in our ranks. With relegation to the third tier in 2001, Richard joined QPR first and the fight to save our club. Happier times followed with his marriage to Vivian and Rangers' subsequent promotion. The standout game for Richard and all fans in recent years was the 2014 playoff final, which saw us all walking to Wembley once again. Richard lists Bobby Zamora's goal as his most memorable as a fan. He was even at Loftus Road the following morning to celebrate the team's victory parade. Richard always claimed that Rodney Marsh was his favourite player and the best goal at Loftus Road was Trevor Sinclair's bicycle kick versus Barnsley. I will miss our pre-match ritual of a coffee in the South Africa Road Concourse discussing the fortunes of our team with his QPR mates and our subsequent regular phone calls to analyse our performance. More than anything, I will miss his loyal and unwavering friendship. Rest in peace, my dear friend.